Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Can I get you to uh, stay with me in Galatians uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 11 to 18? Um, if you uh, got it on your Bibles or on your auto service or on your device, then that would be really helpful. Uh, if not, the verses will come up on the screen as well, but it's easier to see if you can see it all together. There's also a sermon outline in the order of service if you want to see that. Well, many people around the world, you know, are, uh, are grieving uh, the death of, of Queen Elizabeth, isn't it? Uh, it's been all over our media. Um, uh, all over, uh, and uh, in London, I hear that uh, the queue to pay respects to her was... Uh, uh, up to 24 hours long at, at, its, uh, at, at, at its peak. Um, uh, and people from around the world are heading there, including our Yoni Botuan Agong, uh, to, uh, to go to her funeral uh, because, uh, well, she was respected and loved. Uh, and respected and loved by people across the world, not just because of the position that she held, not just because of the length of time for which she held it, uh, but because of the way she conducted herself uh, throughout her reign, uh, with dignity and humility and devotion to duty. Uh, so what was so remarkable about her was well, just not, her, not just her rule, but her character. Uh, and of course, as you look at uh, the world scene today, uh, this has brought a sharper focus. Lah. You compare that character with character of so many world leaders that we see um, that are uh, scandal-infested, self-promoting, arrogant, um, and we see, that, we see that contrast as well. Uh, today, uh, we are finishing our series in, uh, in Galatians. Uh, and in our passage today, we will see some insights into the character uh, of the Apostle Paul, uh, as, well as, uh, uh, as well as those of his opponents, the Judaizers. Uh, we will look at their, the Judaizers' motivation, uh, the real reason why they are championing uh, their circumcision cause in verses uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 6. Uh, we will see Paul's boast in verse 14, his perspective in verse 15, his prayer in verse 16, and his scars uh, in verse 17. Uh, and as we do, we will see a little bit more clearly what faithful gospel ministry looks like uh, in contrast to that of the Judaizers. So let's pray, uh, and we'll get into the passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, we thank you that you've been speaking to us as your Word has been read. Uh, and we pray now that as we uh, look at this passage together, uh, that your spirit will be opening our hearts and minds uh, to what you're saying to us uh, and that you will be transforming us uh, into the image of Christ, uh, that we might serve him faithfully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout this letter so far, Paul has been expounding the gospel and its implications. Uh, the gospel had come from the risen Jesus himself, isn't it? Uh, who had appointed Paul as an apostle uh, and given him this gospel. And the gospel message was that the Lord Jesus, whom God the Father had raised from the dead, had given himself for us. He had died for us on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins on our behalf, to deliver us from this present evil age and to bring us into his glorious kingdom. This is the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And the way to respond to that gospel is to trust in the promises that God gives us in it. For when we believe the gospel, we're united with Christ. Uh, our sins are his, and he bore their just punishment for us on the cross. And his righteousness is ours. And so God, the just judge, can declare us righteous based on what Jesus has done 
To be declared righteous by the judge is to be justified. And since we receive this by trusting in Jesus, you can say we are justified by faith. Like Abraham, we believe God and God counts it to us as righteousness. And not only that, but he gives us his spirit. The spirit enables us to know God as our father. The spirit leads us to holiness and godliness to produce the, the, the fruit of, of holiness and love in our lives, both individually and together. That is the way of blessing. That is the way of freedom. That is the way of the Spirit. That is how the Christian life is meant to be. Faith in Christ alone for salvation, and then transformation by the Spirit in the way of love and holiness. But now, there were people who wanted to divert the Galatians from this path. Remember, we called them the Judaizers because they were putting pressure on the Galatians to become Jews. Uh, they said the Galatians must be circumcised and come under the law of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul had to say, no, right? if you do that, then you've got to keep the whole law to be saved. And if you do that, you're back to doing instead of believing in order to be saved. And if you're seeking to be justified by observing the law, well, it's not going to work and you're not going to be justified. Because you're going to have to keep the law perfectly. And you won't. And so all the law will do is condemn you. Right? That is the way of slavery. Because you'll be constantly trying to keep the law. You'll never be able to do it. So you'll never escape the curse that the law brings. Jesus died to rescue you from that. Why do you want to go back to it? And so interspersed with his apostolic theological teaching, Paul has been fervently and passionately begging and cajoling the Galatians not to give in. Because he knows if they do, they would have fallen away from Christ and his salvation. It was really a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. And that's what we've seen so far in this letter. Now, you know how sometimes when you get a formal letter from someone, it's all nicely printed, and then after they sign it, they add a personal note down the bottom in their own handwriting. You know, kind of just like that. Yeah. Well, Paul has finally finished the, the main part of his letter. Right? He's dictated it. The scribe has written it down all nicely. And now at the end, he adds a scribble in his own handwriting. Uh, I don't know if the scribe was happy about that or not, but never mind. All right? He starts in verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And as he writes this last bit himself in large letters, he's, he's going to move from matters theological to matters of the heart. With his own hand, he's going to reveal in a very personal kind of way what's on his heart and the heart of the Judaizers. Now, before we look at it, let me say that we must be careful about imitating him at this particular point. Be very cautious whenever you're in dispute with someone of presuming to be able to see what's in their heart. Uh, it's very hard to see someone else's heart. In fact, truth be known, it's very hard to see our own heart. But Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this may well be a, a unique spiritual insight given by the Spirit to the Apostle. We might easily get it wrong. Uh, but since this is Spirit-inspired, uh, we know that the Apostle got it right. So what does Paul say? about what drives the Judaizers. 
Well, in verse 12, he says that they want to make a good showing. Right? Literally, the word means they want to have a good face. Right? In other words, that they want to look good. Uh, verse 12 again, in the flesh. Now, I think there's a bit of a pun going on here. Uh, because on the one hand, we've seen already in Galatians that the, the, the flesh is our now sinful human nature, isn't it? Right? It's a sinful nature. Uh, but the flesh can also represent the bit of skin that's removed during the circumcision. So it's a fleshly thing to want to look good. And the thing they want to look good about is cutting off those bits of flesh. And why? Well, verse 12, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So there's the first reason. If the Galatians were circumcised, then these Judaizers can go to the other Jews and say, see, Christians are Jews as well, you know. You don't need to persecute us. We're just like you. We believe Jesus is the Messiah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But bottom line, we and all the other converts who are coming in from the nations, we are Jews. We are faithfully obeying the law of Moses. Just like you are. The Judaizers want to look good to who? They want to look good to the Jews who are persecuting believers. And they want to do that to avoid persecution. Now, it's not wrong in and of itself to want to avoid persecution, isn't it? Right? Jesus told his disciples, if they persecute you in one place, you flee, you go to the next place. We don't ask to be persecuted. But God has entrusted us with a gospel message. Uh, Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 8, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Right? Because when false teachers distort the gospel, they lead people away from salvation into condemnation. And they deserve to be eternally condemned themselves if they're going to do that. If there's a choice between being unfaithful to the gospel and being persecuted, Better to choose persecution. Don't change the gospel. Around the world today, many Christian missionaries advocate something called contextualization. Now, some contextualization is necessary because people accidentally input their own culture into church and preaching and, and think that is part of the gospel, which it isn't. And so it's healthy to separate the eternal gospel from the cultural trappings uh, that it might come in as it goes to a new culture. But sometimes people take it too far. And they change not only the wrappings, but the message itself. They want to make it more attractive to the people in the culture they're trying to reach. They want to make it more acceptable to the people in the culture they're trying to reach. They want to protect their converts from persecution in the culture they're trying to reach. But if by doing so, they are willing to water down the gospel, then they have fallen into the same trap as the Judaizers. Do not change the gospel to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. But there's another reason why these Judaizers do what they do. Paul says in verse 13 that even those who are circumcised don't keep themselves the law. Right? They can't keep it properly from the heart. It doesn't stop them from claiming that they do and they're wanting to force it on others. And the reason, verse 13, 
that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they want to take glory in how many foreskins they got cut off. They want bragging rights in how many Gentiles they made into Jews. So this is not about holiness. It's not about love. It's not about, it's, it's about numbers. It's about pride. It's about Judaizers in Galatia showing off to Judaizers in Jerusalem. Their boast is in their ministry reputation. And that is false motivation for any ministry. Now, we need to be careful here because it doesn't mean there's no place for God-glorifying reporting. Paul himself will say in Romans 15 that he will speak about what Christ accomplished through him in bringing the gospel across the Roman Empire. But it does mean that we don't do ministry in order to show off. We don't do ministry to build a reputation. We mustn't find our boast in our activities or numbers. And must never say of St. Mary's or if you're a visitor from another church, whatever church you're from, oh, we are the best church, right? Because we're better than other churches in this, this, this. Yalah. For every area that we're doing well, by the grace of God and only by God's grace, there'll be a whole number of other areas which we can improve, right? We rejoice and thank God when we see progress. We pray and work where we see needs. But we must not make this about us whether as individuals or as a church, when really it's about Jesus. Let's not boast in our ministry. And let us never, never, never change the message and be unfaithful to the gospel so that we can have more to show off about. Changing the message is always a temptation for preachers and leaders. Uh, there are many who will water down the gospel uh, perhaps in a different way than the Judaizers, but they just tell people what they want to hear so that more people come to their church or listen to their podcasts or buy their books so they can boast about, hello, how successful they've been. Right? Don't listen to people like that. And it's not just leaders and preachers. Actually, every one of us needs to be careful, Right? Don't change the gospel message to something else when you're, when you're sharing it with family and friends. Tell them about the Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. Tell them about the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that he offers to those who will turn away from sin and trust in him. Lovingly and truthfully, tell them the gospel. Don't give them a false gospel that can't save just because you think it's more likely they'll accept that one instead of the real one. Brothers and sisters, the Judaizers wanted to look good. They wanted to avoid persecution. They wanted to boast in the Galatians. And they twisted the message as a result. If you want to guard the gospel, don't just guard the gospel. Guard your heart. But what about the Apostle Paul? What do we see when he shares his heart with us? What can we learn from him about being faithful ministers of the gospel? Well, to start with, remember how the Judaizers wanted to boast in the flesh of the Galatians. Uh, Paul tells us about his boast in verse 14. 
But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross there, shorthand for, for the death of Jesus on the cross in our place. Right? For Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins in our place, on our behalf. He, he rescued us from the curse by becoming a curse for us so that we can be justified by faith. And if, and if Christ loved me and gave himself for me, how can I be so unfaithful to him as to change his gospels to avoid persecution or so that I can look good? It's unthinkable, isn't it? In fact, if we really get the cross, we know that it's so big, so momentous, so, so life-changing that everything else pales into insignificance beside it. If Jesus be God and died for me, not just for the world, but for me, surely that, that changes everything about how I live. It's the only thing worth glorifying in. It's the only thing worth having at the very center of our affections. The cross saves you and me for eternity because Jesus died in our place. There's nothing more important than that in my life or in yours. You can have all the recognition in the world, all the comforts, all the admiration of like-minded people, but if at the end of it you're unsaved, you've got nothing. And if you have any one of those things, but you know the magnitude of the cross, then you won't find your glory in them either. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And so in the cross, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's got to be true of us as well, isn't it? If Christ be God and died for me, then I must live not for myself, not for anything in the world, but for him. It's true of all of us. We no longer live to serve and please the world. We no longer live to impress the world. We no longer live to see the things of the world as things that we boast in. If we've been crucified to the world, we no longer worry about what the world thinks of us personally. Because we know actually the world and everything is going to pass away. As far as we're concerned, it's already happened. We're going to sing the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, a little bit later. I gave you the first verse just now. There's another, there's another verse in it that, that, that's, that's, not in our, that's not in our order of service today. But here, here's what it says. His dying crimson like a robe spreads all his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, of course, this is about context. Huh? This is about personal glory, right? not absolute indifference. Right? We still need to think about how our actions affect other people. We still need to think about how what we do commends the gospel or not. We still need to live in the world. We still need to love our neighbors in the world. All those things, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as our own personal glory is concerned, what we boast in, there's nothing to be concerned about. Our glory is in the cross, not the opinion of the world. And we must certainly never, 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 like the Judaizers, nullify the cross of Christ to make the gospel more palatable to the world. Friends, some people boast in petty things. 
They may boast in their possessions, their careers, their toys, their portfolios. These might be the things that drive them. Others might boast in religious things. Their baptism, their confirmation, their ordination, their biblical learning, their theological understanding, their spiritual experience, their church growth, their music, their preaching, their Bible studies, their training, their spiritual disciplines, their people. Their, all might be good things, good things to thank God for, but they are not worthy of the ultimate boast. We have something to boast about that far outweighs any of those things. You want to boast? Boast about the cross. Boast about how compassionate, how gracious God is. That even when we were rebelling against him, he reached out to us in love. Boast about how Jesus came to die for you, unworthy as you are. Boast about how he loved you so much that he, he gave himself to rescue you. Boast about the suffering, he pain he, that he went through on your behalf. Boast about how he took the curse for you so that you can be with him. Boast about the forgiveness and eternal life you've been given as a gift. Because yeah, that kind of boasting that brings no glory to ourselves. Our part is simply that we were sinners and we needed a saviour. But it brings glory to God. It shows how just and loving he really is. And it calls to people to what really counts. May we never boast except in the cross of Christ. Well, as Paul shares his heart, he also shares his perspective. And in particular, his perspective on circumcision. Have a look at what he says now, down in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. He said, hang on, hang on. Hang on there. Well, if that's the case, why did he bother to write this whole letter? It didn't count for anything. What's the point? Right? And in fact, didn't Paul say back in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, that if anyone accepted circumcision, they would be obliged to keep the whole law. They would be severed from Christ and fallen away from grace. Yeah. Now he can say, circumcision doesn't matter. Uncircumcision doesn't matter. What's going on? Well, what Paul is saying is, it's not actually that bit of skin that's important. Right? Circumcision is nothing in and of itself. But what is important is why you're doing it. See, the Galatians were about to get circumcised because the Judaizers were telling them they need to get circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. If the Galatians accepted circumcision as being necessary for salvation, then that was being part of going under the law of Moses, then they were rejecting the sufficiency of their cross. They're going under the law, which is based on doing, which they couldn't keep, they'll come under the curse. Now, on the other hand, if someone were to be circumcised for medical reasons, it doesn't mean anything. If someone was circumcised for cultural reasons, it probably doesn't mean anything either, though you probably got a little bit more, a bit more careful. Some people may be circumcised for the sake of mission or as a result of a terrible accident. Doesn't mean anything. Having that bit of skin doesn't save you any more than not having it. Paul himself was circumcised. Didn't help him get saved, didn't stop him from getting saved. The Gentile Christians were not circumcised. Well, same position. Whether or not you have your foreskin doesn't matter in itself. 
What matters, Paul says, verse 15, is a new creation. Now, you don't wonder, what does Paul mean when he says a new creation here? Right? This is the first time he's mentioned it in the letter. But he has said something very similar back in chapter 5, verse 6. And there he said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if, if what he's saying is a parallel to that, then the new creation is God's creative work in us by his Spirit, giving us that faith in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, and then transforming us by the Spirit to being his people who show that fruit of love. Faith and love. Again, the normal Christian life. That creative work of the Spirit is giving us faith in Christ, transforming us to love. That actually is what really matters. That's the important thing. And friends, as we look at our lives and ministry, let's keep that perspective because you know what? There can be so many things that can fill our horizons, so many distractions, so many things, both good and bad, that we can do. But in the end, what counts is a new creation. In the end, faith in Christ alone, growing in love for others, that's what matters. So many other things that are of actually no significance either way. But if something leads people away from faith in Christ, away from growing in godly love, those things, actually things that ultimately do matter, are then better take action like Paul does in this letter. Well, next, Paul shares his prayer with us. Uh, he prays a blessing uh, uh, in verse 16, for all who walk by this rule. Now, that is, for all who, who, like Paul, boast in the cross of Christ and not in the world. For all who trust in Christ alone uh, for salvation are being changed into his likeness by the Spirit. And his prayer in verse 16 is for peace and mercy. Back in Isaiah 54, which Paul first referenced back in chapter 4, God promised the true Israel mercy, or in our translation, steadfast love and peace. I listen to the words of that beautiful promise. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Knowing God's promise right, to those who are part of this, this true Israel, Paul prays that that would be a reality in the lives of those who trust in Jesus. Uh, and sisters and brothers, you and I who trust in Jesus and him alone for salvation are part of the true Israel, the Israel of God. We are citizens of the Jerusalem that is above that we saw earlier on. In Galatians. That promise is for us. The mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but God will never leave us. His mercy will not fail us. His covenant of peace, His promise to remember our sins no more, will never be taken away. And so, like Paul, we can confidently pray for each other that we would always know God's mercy and peace. Meanwhile, we will still face tribulations of all kinds in our world, 
Paul knows that more than anyone. And so the final thing he shows us in verse 17 is his scars. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Uh, if our dating is right, then Paul had been stoned and left for dead by the Jews in one of the Galatian cities just a year or two before the writing of this letter. Uh, he would have had all these scars from his stonings. He had the scars of his persecution. He wasn't ashamed of them because he knew that Christ suffered for him. And now in his own body was the evidence that he is willing to suffer for Christ. The Judaizers, they wanted to mark the bodies of their converts with circumcision. Paul has scars in his body that mark him for being faithful to Jesus. Surely the Galatians could see that he is genuine and stop giving him all these problems. I suspect that most of us who are here today don't have physical scars from being tortured for Christ. But many people have other scars. You may have emotional scars from being rejected by family or friends for your commitment to Jesus. You may have lifestyle scars, things that you like to do, but you can't do because you seek first the kingdom of God. You might have career scars, right? You might be at that level in your career when you could have been at that level because you chose to prioritize ministry and family, bringing God's word to the next generation. Don't be ashamed of your scars. Like Paul, you bear the marks of Christ. Well, Paul has shown us his heart. He's shown us his boast, his perspective, his prayers, and he's shown us his scars. He's exposed the heart of the Judaizers and what motivates them. So brothers and sisters, let us, like Paul, hold fast to the true gospel. But not only that, let us do it in the right way and for the right reasons. Like the apostle, let us be faithful servants of Christ. Paul concludes the letter, and we conclude the series, in verse 18 with a blessing. It's a prayer that the grace that comes to us through Jesus would be with the spirit of the Galatians the Galatian believers, because in the end, that's, that's what they need at La. And that is what we always need. It is grace that saved them. It is grace that would keep them from falling for the false teachings of the Judaizers. It is grace that would bring them home. And that's the same for us. And that grace is never presumed upon. Paul makes every effort to persuade the Galatians to be faithful to the gospel. But in the end, he prays, because in the end, their perseverance will come from God. And as we prayed for the Galatians, so we pray for each other, 
that for all our brothers and sisters in St. Mary's and beyond who have heard the message of this letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.